I thought because I had all this experience working with journalists and I mean, an A-list people that, you know, if I can convince somebody to, you know, cover my artists, I can convince somebody to buy or sell a house. And I never took into account the emotional component of what it's like for some people's biggest asset, biggest and most important asset of their life, trusting it to you. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser. Listen in as I interview leaders in our industry, getting their stories and their journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 233 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, thank you so much for telling a friend about the show. Today, we're headed to the Garden State. We're going to be speaking with Amy Patternight. Amy is with Coldwell Banker. She's uh, very successful. I, you know, She's been an agent now for 13 years in the South Orange Maplewood area, about a half hour outside the city. She's in the top 5% of agents in the Coldwell Banker worldwide roster of 92,000 agents. And I can't wait to get started. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me. I think I mentioned you before we hit record that this is my first episode that was recorded after the stay-at-home order started popping up all around the country. Uh, obviously, you're in the tri-state area. You're, you're, I think, about a half hour by train out of Manhattan in New Jersey. Yep. Um, what, how are things? We're, we're recording this episode um, on April 11th. How are things going right now for you up there in the your area? Uh, it's pretty damn scary to tell you the yeah. truth. Um, yeah. it's really, really friggin' scary. We're pretty much sheltering in place. It's really serious up here. I mean, it's, it's masks, it's social distancing to the max. We started, there's some local face group, Facebook groups that have started to like help out people. I already know someone who passed away is somebody in our community to our village president puts out stuff, you know, every day about what's going on. So it's really, uh, you know, it, it's really, it's really hit home. It is encouraging to see a lot of people walking outside with their kids and riding bikes and walking dogs. And there is a little bit of that Mayberry feel uh, in, in the neighborhood uh, with people waving to each other across the street, like a howdy neighbor kind of thing. So, right. I mean, some people were talking about the bringing back the simplicity to to life is the silver lining of some of this, but, but overall it's, it's, out and out frightening. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, you are, you're in the epicenter. I mean, it's, you know, we watch the news. We watch probably way too much news. It felt like good news yesterday and, and today that, you know, there may be, maybe not as many new cases are popping up, which is the start. Right. That's what they said in New York. I don't know if that's true yet in Jersey, but that's, that's the New York stats right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. You grew up uh, kind of up the Hudson River. Is that right? Did I kind of get that right in doing yep. some research on you? Yeah. So you're up in Yorktown. Yorktown Heights, uh, yeah. Westchester County, about an hour north of the city. Well, that's where Joe Rand is, right? Isn't Joe Rand up kind of that way somewhere? I think he's in Nyack. Um, oh, okay, that's he's an far. agent who yeah, a better homes and garden guy sure, across the river. Yeah, I've heard him. I've heard him speak. Yeah, yeah. I ask you a question. So you 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 live up. You you grew up um, just outside the city. I know you've lived in the city in Brooklyn. I know you relocated out of the city. But I look at Manhattan as a destination, right? I'm one of these guys who grew up in California. Now I'm in Florida. But my goal is to go to Manhattan like once a year just to see it and feel it. And tell me what it's like to have like access whenever you want to that city and living in it. It's got to be, do you take it for granted or do you just think that's just life? Well, I don't know if I take it for, I, I think a lot of people in Jersey do take it, you know, for granted. A lot of people don't 
you know, go in as much probably as I do, mostly by, you know, my husband also works in the, in the music industry and uh, runs Birdland Jazz Club on, on West 44th Street, which is now shut down. So hopefully one day we'll reopen. I hop in a lot for to, to go to shows. I hop the train and meet him for dinner and go see shows because he's still in the music industry. Uh, like sometimes we get access to uh, Broadway shows or uh, press seats or something like that. So I, I do, we do take advantage of that. But as a kid, you know, it was fun to take the train with my friends into the city. And we used to have school trips on the, you know, yellow school bus to the Hayden Planetarium and the Museum of Natural Art and History and uh, walking around Central Park. Uh, and we also used to go on Wednesdays to the matinees for the Broadway matinees because they were half price. You go to the TKTS booth to get um, half price tickets. Uh, they were $35. So I'm probably dating myself here. <laughs> they were $35 and half price was $17.50. Wow. So we used to go up for the Wednesday matinees and get the half price tickets. And um, I think I saw like Dream Girls and 42nd Street and a couple of Neil Simon plays, uh, Brighton Beach Memoirs and Bloxy Blues. And we used to go out for lunch. And it was, uh, you know, it, it was fun. You mentioned your husband and Birdland Jazz Club. And I, and, and it was Anthony and I who got to, uh, got to oh, yeah. see the club. Yeah, we yeah, actually... You met him that night. That's right. Yeah, you were very nice to give us a ride uh, <laughs> from O'Hara's Pub. I'm hoping, because music is such a big part of your life, and I, I'm like a music freak, Broadway freak, Streisand freak. So this is like... This is super cool for me to talk to you about this stuff. <laughs> but please tell me in high school, you released Drama Club or Glee Club or something like that. So, okay. So I started playing piano when I was five years old. Okay. And my dad played guitar and he used to be in a rock group uh, called the tokens. Um, they had that huge hit line sleeps tonight. You're kidding. But he quit. He wasn't in the band at that time. He was in the band. (laughs) Timing is everything. (laughs) Right. And he quit before like 1961, before that was a big hit. You know, okay. you know, you know the song I'm talking about. Right? Oh, in the jungle, the mighty jungle. Yeah. Oh, sure. I know okay. well. You know, I grew up uh, in a sort of musical um, household because he played guitar and I was always playing piano. We had family friends that played saxophone. Every time there was like a um, an event at our house, like we always everyone broke out the instruments and, you know, there was always always music in school. I was mostly like I accompanied the chorus. I played in the pit band for, uh, you know, for musicals. Um, I don't really sing. I mean, I can carry a tune, but I'm like not a singer per se. But in high school, I played in the band. I played alternate percussion, which was like xylophone, marimba, bells, like all the cool, you know, percussion. You had... I remember in uh, junior high school band to be percussionist, you had to be a piano player. That was the deal. You had yeah. to take piano lessons. And then mm-hmm. if you did, they let you work percussion because right. otherwise everyone would just head that way. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was cool. Really. The, the xylophone and marimba, uh, and yeah. then those like long, you know, big, you know, bells. And oh yeah. so that was, uh, you know, a chimes actually, uh, yeah. chimes is what I'm thinking. So that was, that was pretty fun. And then I played in a band with, you know, with friends and we played like battle of the bands and did all kinds of, you know, music, music stuff. But yeah, you think I would be better in Sean Carpenter's uh, Facebook live lost lyrics hang, you know, I'm just, for some reason I cannot. So, so let's, let's plug, let's plug that right now. That is the hardest right. game in the history of games. There's First no of way. All, I don't know who his friends are that know all these like <laughs> obscure lyrics, but you know, he needs well, to give hints on that. It's because they all like the same music Sean does because he tends to pick yeah. music he likes. It's all good. You know, I, right. Sean and I had a conversation about lost lyrics because I don't even think they're lost lyrics. They're right in his hands. 
So yeah. not very, they're not very lost. Right. Right. I mean, first, like you have to go Tom Petty and like, you know, you know, like you're in the, the ballpark and then head to the Grateful yeah. Dead. And then and head you to head the Grateful over, Dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're right. You head off to college and uh, music was your life at this point. You're, you're, you go to University of Buffalo? Did I have so, that right? Right. So I grew up in New York and my parents were like, you know, it's none of it like it is today with my kids touring, you know, schools all over and going sure. to things. Nothing like that. It was like, we live in New York. We have the SUNY colleges. Pick one. Yep. That's where you're going. <laughs> all right. And I'm like, oh, I want to go to Berkeley College of Music. This cool, you know, music school in Boston. They're like, yeah, no. You know, like if you want us to pay for college, that's what you're doing. And so, all right, there's luckily there are, there's like a dozen good SUNY schools. Mm -hmm. So I picked the one, you know, furthest away from New York City. And uh, I, you know, auditioned, I was going to be a concert pianist, I figured I'm, you know, I I was classically trained my whole life. And I thought, you know, I would be a concert pianist. So I'm definitely not doing this to my children where it's like, you can be whatever you want to be. Because my parents were so like, whatever you want to do, just, you know, put your mind to it. You can be anything you want to be. No, someone should have told me you're a good piano player, but you're not going to be a freaking concert pianist. <laughs> someone <laughs> needed to tell me that before college. All right. I, I got to college and I was, you know, growing up again, like big fish in little ponds. And then when I got to college, there was all these really amazing pianists. And like, mm-hmm. here I am in Buffalo. I'm not at Juilliard. I'm not at New England Conservatory. I'm not at Oberlin. I'm in Buffalo. So I was, I felt kind of really defeated my first year. I was thinking like, wow, you know, I spent most of my days in a practice room, only slightly bigger than a Steinway Grand. My back was killing me all the time after sitting on a piano bench for like, you know, five, six hours at a time. I was like, man, I don't think I really can be a concert pianist. I better start thinking of other things that, you know, I like, but I, you know, love music and I really wanted to, you know, do something in music And I still had Berkeley in the back of my mind. And what I ended up being able to do was write, sort of write my own major that incorporated music and communication. So I was still able to graduate college in four years. And I incorporated two semesters of Berkeley into my degree. And at Buffalo, I took, you know, a lot of classes in like business and economics. And I thought at one point, uh, I was going to be a lawyer. I took constitutional law classes. I thought maybe I could be an entertainment lawyer. Um, people think I'm a lawyer, actually, sometimes when uh, when I talk, <laughs> they think I'm a lawyer. If they don't if they don't know I'm a realtor, they think I'm a lawyer. Was Berkeley everything you thought it was going to be? Because it just sounds like like the coolest place. I mean, it, it was really cool. So, I mean, I was there. My first semester was spring of 1990 and where I met my now husband. So, you know, we've been together now, you know, 30 years, married for almost 24. So I met, I meet my future husband the first week of school. <laughs> wow, that's great! And this isn't you're in. It's in Boston, right? This is in Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Boston, and I took you know I took a lot of really cool classes. Um, you know, jingle writing. You learn how to sing like you know instrumental solos in solfege, which is do re mi. Wow. So wow, it was. I mean, it was just a lot of cool, interesting things. Line writing. My husband actually worked his way through school copying charts. He had such great penmanship, and this was before finale and all those musical programs. I know you start a PR firm, but there's a little gap in there. What'd you do in that right after school before you decided to start your own company? What was filling in that space? I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, uh, but life circumstances changed and I needed to start working right away. 
I had some opportunities in Boston uh, right after college. Uh, I worked for a guy who booked uh, a jazz club, uh, Scholars up in Boston, Fred Taylor, uh, who recently passed away. And I also worked for Maurice Starr, the producer of New Kids on the Block. And that got me to New York. Um, He had an apartment that he wasn't using in New York. He said, why don't you just go and stay? I was like, all right. So I, it was like right in like right on 52nd and 7th Avenue. And I was, I started temping for festival productions, which puts on the JVC jazz festival, like the Newport jazz festival. And while I was working there, I, I don't remember how I got that in, how I got that opportunity. It was, must've been, I, I must've had an in because you don't just get those opportunities. I, started calling around different record companies and seeing if they needed a publicity assistant. And I actually, I mean, talk about cold calling. I actually literally, you know, I had this, this book that festival productions had with everybody's phone number in it. I mean, it was like this book that was really hard to get. And I said, God, while I'm here, I'm just going to call everybody and see where I can get a job. And I called like blue note. I called all these places. And when I called for records, the head of publicity, like she took my call and I, you know, she's like, come over for an interview. I'm like, I'll be over after, you know, after whatever, I'll be over whenever you want me to be over. So I ended up, my first job was being a public relations assistant um, for peanuts. Basically, I worked for, I think like $10 an hour, but again, it was like 91 or not. Yeah. Maybe 91, 92. Okay. Um, and I worked for, for Verve Records and it's the, the jazz imprint of Polygram. And uh, I got to work with a lot of amazing musicians, uh, Joe Henderson, Betty Carter, Shirley Horn, Cassandra Wilson, uh, Abby Lincoln. Abby Lincoln had this record out. She was performing at Fat Tuesdays, which is this now defunct jazz club um, in downtown. And it was a very small club. And in walks Diana Ross. Oh. Right. And I <laughs> yeah. was like, I was like, holy whatever. So um, I didn't even like, I didn't, you know, I mean, sometimes they tell you who's coming on the guest list. Like, she, you know, Abby will be like, oh, here's my guest list. Here's my people are coming. I don't think yeah. she told me Diana Ross was coming. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And w- we sat there like in the dressing room and I'm sitting there with like Abby Lincoln and Diana Ross and like, just like, you know, kibitzing, you know, chit-chatting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then she's like, I would love a new copy of the, you know, the CD. And I'm like, she's like, here, you know, here's my address. She, she was like living at a hotel in, in Manhattan. And um, I'm like, yes, Diana Ross, I will send that CD to you tomorrow. I will messenger it to you because that's how we did things in New York. We messengered yep. everything. Um, and this was CDs. I worked in the music industry before iTunes. You, you decide to go out on your own. You decide to create your own company, uh, own PR firm and working in that industry, right? Because you knew it well. But you also... It wasn't just musicians. It could have been um, not, I don't want to call them arenas, but conservatories or other kinds of spaces, right? So performing arts venues. Yeah. Yeah, So after after Verve Records, I I worked for two other small independent PR firms, Mm -hmm. which sort of gave me the landing, you know, to, and gave me the training. Uh, I started becoming in charge of my own accounts. So, um, you know, and also like working with big artists, you know, like Wynton Marsalis and uh, Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. And uh, Josh Redman, uh, Kenny Garrett, some, you know, big, big names in jazz. So I was in charge of my own accounts. And at one point, they stopped calling the head of the company and they would call, you know, they would just like call me and I'm like, gee, I can do this on my own. And that's when I ended up, you know, I started my own business. Like my first month I was in the black. Like I didn't, 
you know, because I said I'm leaving and a bunch of people wanted to come with me. Yeah. And so I, I worked with performing arts venues as well. So like Symphony Space and Merkin Concert Hall, uh, Celebrate Brooklyn, which is a concert series in Prospect Park. It was, uh, yeah. And, and just, you know, working on people's, you know, record releases and getting them, you know, getting them in the press. That was, that was my job to pitch journalists and convince them to either, you know, write about my clients, uh, you know, articles in Time Magazine or Entertainment Weekly, or, you know, to get them on, you know, like TV shows, like, you know, CBS Sunday Morning and 60 Minutes and uh, Barbara Walters kinds of, you know, specials. And that was my job of, you know, pitching uh, journalists to cover my artists. Let's get you, let's get you out of the city because somehow, you know, you, you probably make that leap that a lot of people make. You decide to move the family to the suburbs and you head to Jersey and you, you end up in either, it might've been South Orange first or Maplewood. Maplewood. First, I think. Yeah. Maplewood, and yeah. you weren't a realtor at this time. Nope. So somehow we, we got to get you, you make this move. What gets you to real estate? So when we moved here, we moved to Maplewood in 2003, sold our, our condo in Brooklyn and, uh, I was still, you know, working in the music industry and commuting into the city. And really after 9-11, so much changed. Um, and the music industry changed a lot too. And a lot of the funding for things just kind of dried up. And I kind of just like saw the writing on the wall that, you know, a lot of people were bringing stuff in-house. They didn't want to hire out. You know, they wanted to, um, you know, they wanted to scale back. And I just, you know, I just said to myself, like, something, something is going to, you know, something needs to change. Oddly enough, my mother-in-law, who was a realtor and a broker in Ohio and Indiana, said to me, you know, you'd be really good at real estate. And I was like, wow, you know, like, it never, ever occurred to me until the moment it came out of her mouth. Wow. And I was like, yeah, you know, I mean... Because when you think about it, you know, public relations, it's all about relationships. You know, I had a Rolodex of people that I talked to on a regular basis. And it's a lot about, you know, lunches, like you were, you were saying, the, the PR life. I mean, it's a lot about, you know, it's, it's lunches, it's whining and dining. It's, you know, it, it's hanging with people. It's really, you know, it's, right. it's, the, it's the Anthony Malafrante of, <laughs> of, of PR of, you know, just really getting to know people by spending some quality time with them over a, a quality drink. I, I took the real estate class and I kept one client overlapping at the same time. So I still did the the summer, the last summer of Celebrate Brooklyn and started in real estate at the same time in 2006, which was, you know, in retrospect, a terrible time to start in real estate. Well, terrible <laughs> or know? really good, right. because if you can survive through that for the first well, four years, you, you're going to be in good shape. That's what yeah. everybody told me. I mean, I started in yeah. real estate. My kids were three and six. Wow. And, uh, and, you know, I live in this really beautiful community where it's mostly 1920s and 30s, you know, center hall colonials and Tudors and Victorians and really beautiful houses. And the first house I sold was this kind of ugly 1960s split. <laughs> and I remember this like older lady in the office saying to me, like, you know, honey, if you can sell that house, like, you know, in this market, as your first sale, like you're going to make it. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I like that. Are you have you always been Coldwell Banker? Did you start with them, and why did so, you pick them? If you did, interestingly, we were um, we were Bergdorf. Our the, our oh. physical space was Bergdorf Realtors. I don't know if you've ever heard of. I think it's I've a small, heard of them, yeah. It's a small boutique. Gene Bergdorf started this boutique firm, and I think it ended up being like uh, 
16 offices, um, all within, you know, an hour of New York City. They were on the Midtown Direct train line. And it was, you know, it was kind of a, a boutique-y. It was the only like boutique. I, I interviewed at, at the, at Bergdorf. And then I went to, uh, there was a Weikert office in town and a Remax office. And then in two towns over in Short Hills was a Coldwell Banker. Interestingly enough, everybody wanted to hire me. And I said to my husband, like, I don't get it. Like I'm interviewing. I didn't get it at the time. Now it's funny to, you know, <laughs> of course they want you, you know, <laughs> of course they want you. But right. I, I didn't, I didn't understand how it actually worked at the time. But Bergdorf had a, a stellar reputation and they seemed like it, it was actually the most selective process. I had to like take like a disc profile and it was um, you know, I had to go to the home office and, you know, meet with the upper staff. I mean, they took it like really, really seriously. It was, uh, you know, it was a great company. And then in 2000, and it was, and then she sold it, actually. She sold it to NRT, but it was still Bergdorf. She sold it to okay. NRT like in the 90s, I think. Okay. And then, but it was still Bergdorf. And they decided to take away the brand, I guess, just like streamline marketing materials. I don't know why they made the decisions that they made, but they decided to, you know, make it a Cobalt Banker. And there was no other Cobalt Banker in Maplewood. So nothing really materially changed that much mm -hmm. for us. Our, our awning changed, our branding materials, you know, our marketing materials changed, but we were all still the same people inside. I was really upset at first. And then, you know, they went through some, some growing pains and they, they went through a few managers. And then finally, I guess it might have been either 2011 or 12, they really got an, an incredible manager from my office, a, a I say young man because he was in his 20s when he started there. And we were all like, who is this kid coming to manage our office? But he turned out to be, you know, quite an amazing manager. He's still, you know, he's still the manager in our office, Michael Panisi. And he's actually uh, now like a district manager. He manages our office and also uh, Short Hills and Summit, which are, you know, two markets that are are close to us. Well, you're, you're obviously a fan because you're still there. So that's great. Cobalt Banker has been great to me. It's a great company to work for. Um, Hal Maxwell, uh, the president is just a terrific, genuine fellow. He's so incredibly supportive. And even in this like crazy crisis, Ryan Gorman and Sue Yanacon, I mean, stepping up to the plate, town hall meetings, webinars, keeping agents informed every single day, even when they are, you know, uh, themselves taking pay cuts and uh, going through, you know, pullbacks, like they're still incredibly available for all of us. Let's talk about the community part of it, because you are heavily involved in a lot of stuff in your community, right? I even saw an article back in like 2003 or something about when you first moved there and there was no full, full, all day oh, kindergarten, right? <laughs> so yes. I think, that, but, but you also, you're, you're involved in a lot of other char charitable kind of actions and things you're doing in town. And I think that, I think that's such a huge piece of success for a realtor, right? And just becoming that, like you said, the realtor for Maplewood, that's kind of how it works, right? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I started this, you know, this effort for full day kindergarten in 2004 before I was in real estate. I didn't know that our town when we moved here didn't have full day kindergarten. So I started going to school board meetings, trying to figure out why don't we have full day kindergarten? And the answer was, we don't have the space. We don't have the money. And I said, well, hey, if I found the money, would you find the space? And at the end of that school board meeting, uh, Myla Jacy, who was a member of the school board, who is now our uh, assemblywoman for the 27th legislative district, 
she came out, followed me out after the meeting and said, you know, we've been talking about this since the seventies. And the reason why we don't have it is because we've never had it and you're going to change it. And the reason why we will have it is because you started it. And she like really just like believed, you know, believed in me. I actually ended up being her campaign coordinator uh, when she ran for, uh, for assemblywoman. But yeah, I actually, I lobbied the state. I was, you know, a, as a good PR person, you, you scan the papers every day. I used to get everything delivered to my house, the Star Ledger, the New York Times, the Daily News, the Post, you know, I used to get everything delivered. Even when I first moved to New Jersey, like I, you know, I still had to like read everything every day because you never know, you know, you it's know. just like, it's just like Melanie Griffith and Working Girl. You never know where your next good idea is going to come from. I was reading in the Star Ledger how there was like this, you know, like kind of slush fund. I called, you know, then uh, Governor Cody. And I, you know, I said, like, if we can get this $150,000 to start like full day kindergarten, like, could I put you in touch with the superintendent? Could like we work it out? It was, I mean, just it's, you know, it's, it's putting pieces together. And lo and behold, it worked out. My daughter was, you know, in the first pilot program class for the first full day kindergarten class in 2005. And they had one class. And then next year, it was two classes. And then the next year after that, it was, uh, they brought it to like, because there's, there's five elementary schools in our school district. And, you know, now our entire school district has it. So it's kind of my little local claim to fame. What are, what are some of the current things you're doing, you know, uh, with, with community involvement? So I'm very involved with Jewish Federation of Greater Metro West. Um, I'm the chairperson of the Community Relations Committee. Uh, and for the past uh, couple of years, every Wednesday, I volunteer at the Interfaith Food Pantry of the Oranges, where it's my job. I take great pride in the vegetables. I have staged photos and uh, I take great pictures of my staged photos and I literally post vegetables every Wednesday. And I put it like on my personal page. I don't tag it like to real estate or anything. It's just, you know, it's something that I do because I love and it's important. I have no idea if like anyone ever. Like, I mean, I get a couple of likes and whatever. Uh, and then over the years, I, I just, you know, I consistently just like post vegetables. And then one day I was in the supermarket and the um, the president of women's philanthropy for Greater Metro West comes over and says, hi, how you doing? By the way, I love your vegetable photos. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I can't believe that like, she pays attention to my vegetable photos. But the food pantry is at a, a church that's only a few miles from my house. Um, and, you know, New Jersey is really super dense. You know, there's uh, 576 municipalities and we're all on top of one another. And it's amazing that just a few miles away, there's people that really, um, you know, need help making ends meet. So, I, I really do enjoy, uh, you know, doing that. I'm also, you know, a sustaining sponsor of the Achieve Foundation. And I love sponsoring the Newstead 5K. I live in the Newstead area of South Orange. We have a race, uh, a Newstead 5K, which I have run twice. And um, I actually beat my best time. I think my running days are over. I realize now why I never took up running. Um, because it really is hard on your knees. It hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard on your knees, but, yeah. um, but you know, I love the fact that I was able to, uh, run it once. My goal was to finish and not need 911 assistance. That was my first year goal. Both achieved. My second year goal was to beat my time and I beat it by three minutes. Nice. And look, I'm sure relationships were built during that process that you've probably helped in real estate. It's funny. You just, you, you do things and 
people like, you know, like they know your name and they know you, they're not quite sure why, but you know, I always see, oh, I see your name everywhere. And I'm like, really tell me, because I want to know where my advertising is working. Like, I don't, <laughs> but like, you know, that's kind of the thing about, you know, about public relations is, you know, when I was working with an artist, it's like, it's not enough to get them in the New York times or on time magazine, uh, or, you know, in roll on Rolling Stone or vibe or whatever. Uh, it's, you know, getting them on TV, it's getting them on the radio. So uh, it's, it's posters, you know, it, it, it's posters on the subway, it's everywhere. So people kind of feel like they see you in all different ways, you know, kind of like how AdWorks follows you around all over the internet, you know, there you go, yeah. um, it's just like, you never know how somebody, you know, like sometimes I, I, I always ask people, so how did you get to me? You know, if, if you weren't referred to me, how did you get to me? Oh, I, I saw you online. Okay, like where? <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm online a lot of places. Yeah, which one? <laughs> I know the, the marketing of a home. You know, when you're when you're talking to a seller, for you that had to that had to be a easier to pick up, I would say, than the typical agent because you're thinking this is I've been marketing people <laughs> basically for the last you know ten years. This is just I'm now going to market this property and you know kind of maybe get a story associated with that property to help it get sold. Is that am I down going down the right path? Well, the one fatal flaw that uh, that I made uh, in my thinking on this was I thought because I had all this experience working with journalists and I mean, and A-list people um, that if I can convince somebody to, you know, cover my artists, I can convince somebody to, you know, buy or sell a house. And I never took into account the emotional component yeah. of what it's like for some people's biggest asset, biggest and most important asset of their life, trusting it to you. And, you know, that's something that doesn't compute with in, in public relations. It's really, it's really different. It's empathy. It's a whole new, you know, it, it's, you know, I feel like psychology. I mean, it's no wonder why there's so many teachers who are realtors. I mean, it's that whole teaching and educating and, and, and empathizing and getting people to, you know, know you, like you and trust you. The marketing piece. I mean, yeah, I was, I was good at that because I had a background in marketing, but I mean, now Anybody can hire a professional photographer and get beautiful pictures and beautiful Matterport and walk through and whatever. I mean, you're not hiring me because I, I have, you know, special, uh, special skills when it comes to, you know, presenting your house. I mean, obviously like staging and I do make a lot of recommendations for that, but you're hiring me as much for my, you know, expertise and, you know, positioning your house. But a lot of it is from contract to closing. It's not enough to get an offer accepted on your house. I always tell people, congratulations with a lowercase c, because it's a long road from contract to closing. And that's where I really feel that, you know, I, you know, differentiate myself, uh, you know, amongst the competition. As a title guy, I love the fact that you treasure that part from contract to closing. So <laughs> that's a big part of, uh, of where we're involved. You and I met at Inman and um, talk about, and I think I remember you saying you love coming into the you don't go to Vegas or San Francisco and was there, but you go to the city every year in New York because it's easy to get to and yeah. you get to really rekindle a lot of connections you've made there. Talk about the importance of that for you. So, I mean, I basically, you know, uh, what do we call it? LobbyCon? Is yeah, that, perfect. I, I, yeah, I don't know who, who coined that. Probably Carpenter, probably Sean, Sean Carpenter, <laughs> or, uh, I'm guessing. But Or I heard Judy say that too. But yeah, pe everybody says like, hey, like what's up with LobbyCon? I mean, just the amount of time spent at the bar at, at the, in the Marriott, you know, like that was just as important as any of the, uh, you know, 
seminars that I went to during the day in any of the in the ballrooms, and especially this year because you know uh, working with all like all the Wailopo people and getting to meet them and you know going to dinner with them and going to dinner with you guys and that was definitely a highlight with you know you and Anthony and Ryan and and Richard and you know spending time with with you know with with Judy Weiniger and just all the amazing, you know, why local people just putting a, a name to the face. I mean, you know how great those those guys are. They yeah. when I have a problem, I mean, yeah, I can email support, but I can also email them. Like I have their emails and like they'll like get back to me like, oh hey, Amy, you just need to like do this or I'll send you a 30 second loom on how you can do it. Like, <laughs> oh my God, like the the top people at the company are taking time out to like help little old me team of two. When meanwhile, everybody at that dinner table for like Wailopo had teams of like 500 agents or 50 agents. And they were all, you know, driving McLarens and which I never even heard of until that night. And, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, McLaren, like those are the strollers. Like I only know McLaren no, strollers. No, that, the McLarens right. are $275,000 cars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, complete news to me. I was like, yeah. com- complete fish out of water on that one. But, you know, the, the amount of you know, the amount of support and the camaraderie. I mean, I think that, I mean, I I wish I could, I wish I would have come to it sooner. I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of jealous of the, uh, of of the curator folks, you know, Uh, Ginny Lee was, you know, talked to me about this just amazing network of people that, uh, you know, that she's had over the years and Anthony too. And it's really great that now I'm kind of finding that, you know, with, with Wailopo and it's just, Amazing how much everybody is willing to help everybody. I, I sometimes I can't even get over it because in PR nobody wants to help you. I remember one of my first jobs, I faxed something to you know some journalist and it came out blank, and like nobody told me that like I was faxing things upside down. Like they just like nobody wanted to help you. Like nobody wanted to nobody wanted to help you succeed. But real estate in New Jersey is very competitive, especially in my area. But I've been very fortunate to connect with a small group of like-minded realtors from different brokerages, and we all help and support each other. We go on price opinions for each other. Uh, you know, we bounce things off of each other. Has anyone ever heard of this home inspector or just really anything? And it's just a really amazing group of supporting people, especially in this climate. Uh, of uncertainty today. You're doing great, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go because we're actually recording this kind of later in the evening. Hmm. Uh, with the same final question, I've asked every guest over 200 times, and you know it's coming. And that's I do. Yeah. What what one piece of advice now that you know what you know? What one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started? I would say go buy the book Ninja Selling by Larry Kendall, because the quality the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your thinking. And mindset is so important. And I work on it all the time. Um, I'm constantly, I constantly talk myself, you know, talk myself off the ledge, I feel like so many mm-hmm. times. I'm bad at giving myself credit, you know, and, and like nobody cares about like, oh, who's number one or whatever. I mean, it's just, you know, the consumers don't care about that. All the realtors, it, it's something just, you know, all the, for, for realtors, it's really not something for consumers. But I would just say, if you could just get out of your own head, which I'm sure Ginny Lee Deptula will be very proud of to hear me say that, um, (laughs) get out of your head, get out of your own way. And then, you know, of course, the most important thing that, you know, that we've all learned from Sean Carpenter, it's all about building relationships, solving problems and having fun. Oh, he's going to love that. He is going to love that. That's great. Look, if someone wants to reach out to you, Amy, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? 
Uh, I'd say you can find me on Facebook, um, Amy Patternite or Amy Patternite Homes. I'm also, you know, on Instagram. You'll find me on Instagram. Don't be fooled. My Instagram feed is half houses and half baking challah because I try to bake challah every... It's like my alternate life. I bake challah almost every Friday. I mean, now it's Passover, so I'm not. But uh, I have a whole other contingency of people who follow me uh, and I follow that are all like in like the baking world all over the country. So that's kind of like a fun thing too. So if you go to my Instagram and you see a lot of challah, don't be fooled. I do actually sell houses. And I could never, I can never scale it to be able to sell challah to make any kind of money. So... No, but it's like passions are passions. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Amy, for your time. It, this really was a blast for me. I love getting the stories. And 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 I know probably over a drink in Manhattan, hopefully in 2021 at Inman, maybe I'll get some more stories out of some of those clients and things. It'll be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com slash RE sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to therealestatesessions.com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released.